You're listening to the Charge Forward audio blog by Chargebacks 911, bringing you the latest in payments and fraud. To learn more about how Chargebacks 911 can help you reduce chargebacks and recover revenue lost to fraud, visit us online at chargebacks911.com. This episode is a replay of a webinar entitled Merchants Speak Out, Lessons Learned from the 2023 Chargeback Field Report. It features experts from Chargebacks 911. All right, looks like we have a few more who have joined, so we're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Thank you so much for taking time out of your afternoon to join us today. Uh, my name is Justin Clements. I'm the Director of PR and Media Relations here at Chargebacks 911, and I'll be acting as today's host for today's webinar. Uh, so we're going to be breaking down our uh, 2023 Chargeback Field Report. Uh, this year, we surveyed uh, approximately 400 merchants, varying in sizes, uh, and we also, uh, for the first time, did a consumer survey. Uh, we surveyed around 4,000 uh, consumers just to sort of gauge where, uh, you know, how they view chargebacks and how they go about disputing transactions. Um, so we'll be breaking that down today. But before I get started, I just wanted to quickly go over how this webinar is going to be structured. Uh, the first part of the webinar will include a short presentation, so this portion will have some visual elements, so uh, if at all possible, if you can give us your undivided attention for that portion, that would be much appreciated. Uh, the second portion of the webinar, we'll be doing a Q&A, where we're going to answer some of the questions that you guys have submitted. Uh, this portion is going to be a little bit less visual, so it's okay if you just want to listen in to that part. Um, during the webinar, feel free to submit any questions that you have. Uh, we, we promise to answer any questions that you guys submit. If we can't get to it during the webinar, uh, we'll follow up with you all via email, but we'll make sure that all those questions get answered. So today I'm joined by Jared Wright. He is our Vice President of Marketing here at Chargebacks 911. He's going to sort of give us the uh, the inside scoop into sort of what all these uh, these stats, this, uh, this data, and what these uh, responses sort of mean uh, for the larger picture. Um, you know, just looking at this chargeback field report, um, you know, while we do have uh, a lot of information that we were able to gather from these surveys, uh, it's important that, you know, this is sort of one part of the picture. Um, it kind of reminds us of the old Indian fable where uh, where blind men are asked to describe uh, an object that they're feeling. They're all feeling their way around an elephant, different parts. And as they're all describing the same thing, you can see, you know, they're describing, uh, you know, how it pertains to them from different areas. So you see one blind man is feeling the trunk. He would describe it as a snake. Another one feeling the tusk would describe it as a spear. So that's kind of how this is, uh, you know, with with the different entities, you know, with your with your fraud prevention companies, with your chargeback management companies, your payment processors, all of us see a different portion of the same animal and might describe them differently. So just keep that in mind that, you know, while this data that, that we present to you today, um, it only explains just part of the story, but we're going to kind of try to expand the scope a little bit and, and tell a little, uh, a bigger portion of the story. So as we dive into it, before we get to, uh, to all the data, we just kind of want to explain the demographics of those that we surveyed. Um, so you can see here, just for the uh, the merchants who participated in our survey, um, it, you know, just based on size, we had a pretty even spread of uh, of the size of the merchants that we were able to survey. You can see here that we have, you know, around 30% were enterprise, 35% mid market, 36% small business. So 
you know, we, we're able to to get some input from from varying size companies. Uh, you know, you can also see uh, the risk factors from some of the merchants that we were able to to interview as well. Um, just looking at uh, how some of these merchants are handling their representments, uh, you know, we can see on the left, you know, about 70% are uh, handling everything in-house, which, you know, that's about a 25% increase from what we saw last year. Uh, so that, you you know, I think chargebacks as some of these companies are getting used to them and seeing that they are, you know, the, some of these uh, first party misuse or friendly fraud, it's, it's kind of, it's going to be here for a while. So I think a lot of these companies have been taking it in-house. And then you can see on the right some of the uh, you know what departments each of these merchants are having handle their chargeback management. Uh, you know you can see the varying degrees of of uh, who they're delegating that responsibility to. So as we get into this, uh, one of the first things that we asked our merchants was uh, was in regards to alternative payment methods. So you know we asked them just besides credit cards, which of the following payment methods uh, do you accept? Uh, one thing that we did see as an increase was uh, the option of buy now, pay later. We saw that sitting at 16%. Uh, I believe it was a 2% increase from last year, but uh, just given the way that inflation has sort of struck consumers and everything, um, that has been a much more viable option for folks that, uh, you know whose wallets are spread a little bit thinner. Uh, with everything going on, we see that that's a that's a popular option. And then obviously, you know, 53% of our respondents. Are, are showing that they accept e-wallets. That was our our highest one that we had so far. Um, Jared, you know, just from from your experience with uh, speaking with with some of our clients and and other merchants, um, what are you seeing in in terms of alternative payment methods? Well, I think this is about right. I think if anything, the ACH is probably a little bit high in this report. I think there might be some sample bias. Um, but there, there is sort of generally across the board, what we see year over year is um, increases. Um, the crypto thing has been hanging out, you know, around four to 6% for the last, I don't know, since we started doing this study. So, I, you know, if um, I, keep, I keep waiting for, uh, you know, the grocery store down the street to start, accept, start accepting my doge, but it's, uh, it's not doing <laughs> it yet. <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, I think just looking at that, it's kind of uh, it's very similar to where it was last year. I think the jury is still out on on how safe crypto is for right now. So understandable that merchants might be slow to accept that form of payment until there are some uh, consumer and merchant protection systems in place, uh, some better than what we have right now. Um, so just looking at this next slide, we're you know we're looking at some of. Uh, how some of these merchants are referring to uh, the the case of chargebacks. It, usually, chargebacks and disputes are kind of uh, were used interchangeably. So, what we wanted to see was how these merchants are referring uh, to these to these uh, transaction issues, whether they refer to them as chargebacks or refer to them as disputes. Obviously, you can see uh, compared to last year, um, well, compared to 2021, a lot of merchants were using these. Um, these terms interchangeably, uh, but now that we can see that we're starting to revert, we're referring to using chargebacks uh, to describe, you know, the the process of uh, of getting that forced refund from a merchant uh, as as opposed to dispute. So, so Jared, when you're speaking with merchants, is there a term that you're finding that they most commonly use? 
Yeah, well, I think so. So my interest in this is a little bit less. Um, the reason I ask this is because I'm always curious how the market is feeling. Um, you know, I, I want to make sure I, I don't need to go out and buy disputes 911.com. Um, but just for a little bit of background, uh, I think in 2018, Visa did an overhaul of their chargeback process. Fundamentally, not that much change. They created some new rules and stuff, but it was still a pretty big industry event. And one of the things that they did is they changed the terminology of these different things. Um, and so disputes became uh, how they referred to to all the, the entire chargeback process. Um, and it was, you know, merchants are now, they called them responses. There was, there, was, there was a whole series of language changes, but disputes was the most significant. And so every year we ask, because I'm trying to understand, you know, has that uh, uh, caught on? And if you, if you advance to the next slide, where we're at internally, the way that we think about it is the dispute is sort of the, the, the problem. It's the underlying issue, right? So the, the uh, consumer contacts their bank, sort of like the verb, they dispute the case, they have a dispute, I guess that's a noun in that case, but, but it's, it's the, uh, the customer service, it's the issue that needs to be resolved. Um, and then the chargeback uh, is the mechanism that, that sort of result, resolves that dispute. Um, it's not the only mechanism, by the way, too, which is I think why it's important to have different language, especially with the acquisition of um, Verify and Ethica by the card schemes, you know, I think there's an acknowledgement that chargebacks are not a very effective way to resolve a lot of these payment disputes. Um, and so these tools sort of offer a variety of uh, resolution options for uh, merchants, customers, issuers, and acquirers to, uh, to, to solve these problems without going through the, the very costly, very sort of cumbersome and difficult to manage chargeback process. Um, so, so I don't know, that's, that's sort of a, a longer answer, but that's, um, I, I'm, I'm heartened uh, because I think for clarity's sake, I think it's important to have uh, different terms. I also don't like, because we write a lot of content, I don't like having to say, uh, it's important that merchants dispute their dispute. Um, so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, so it's, you know, having a dispute be a very specific thing is, is a little bit easier and I think it's, it's probably more appropriate. And I think that's why a lot of merchants and uh, uh, people in the payments industry still prefer chargebacks when, when you talk about that very specific mechanism of uh, dispute resolution. Yeah, as more of these merchants, you know, uh, manage these chargebacks, especially themselves, it's, it's, it's good to have, you know, vernacular that provides a little bit of clarity. So, uh, no, th thank you for explaining that. Um, so we asked the merchants uh, who were surveyed, uh, what is your biggest challenge related to chargeback management? And unsurprisingly, we see that winning chargeback is an issue. While it is down a little bit from last year, it's still the, the leading challenge amongst surveyed merchants. Um, and you know, one, big, uh, one big difference that we saw also from last year is the increase in, uh, in identifying those false positives uh, for chargeback. So, uh, Jerry, can you kind of take us through these uh, just a little bit and kind of uh, uh, explain these through and why these are, you know, such a, a difficult thing for merchants to manage? Yeah. Well, I think I think winning cases and reducing uh, chargeback rates. I think those are obvious. Um, those are when when merchants reach out to us. That's typically the the thing that they're trying to solve. I think I'm heartened to see. Um, you know, I've had a lot of conversations. Uh, I've been here for eight years, and at, at at a certain point, we were at a place where we were even educating the, the market 
to what friendly fraud was, or you, you know, there, there was a lot of sort of misconceptions. And so it's, I'm, I'm glad now that merchants are uh, considering identifying friendly fraud to be one of their biggest challenges, because I think that is really, you know, I think everything sort of, all the difficulties sort of flow downstream from that fundamental sort of uh, pain point. Um, and then the, the identifying friendly fraud and balancing risk against false positives, I feel like those are kind of two sides of the same coin because what ends up happening for a lot of merchants is that they they look at their reason codes and they say, okay, well, I have a problem. 60% of my chargebacks are using what are uh, typically referred to as fraud reason codes, right? So somebody calls their bank and says, I didn't make this charge. Somebody stole my credit card number. Now, the thing that, that, that merchants don't initially realize, I think, until they've been struggling with this for a while is that when somebody contacts their bank and they say i didn't rec i don't recognize this charge a lot of times that's just what it is they just don't recognize the charge they forgot about the charge the merchant name is slightly different than the website that they bought it on um, a spouse or a family member bought it um, so there's a lot of mistaken a lot of times a lot of those are friendly fraud in the technical sense in that they're illegitimate chargebacks but they're sort of innocent friendly fraud um, first party misuse, I guess they're calling it now. Um, mm -hmm. And then, so so what merchants do is they end up investing in fraud prevention, right? So they start saying, okay, well, look, if it's if it's even a little bit shady, right? So if the if the the address doesn't match, or you know, there's any of these uh, sort of risk signals, right? They they invest in these these um, uh, fraud prevention tools, and what ends up happening is that they start declining good transactions. Mm -hmm. uh, and and so and so it ends, so that so that's sort of two sides of the thing is that if if you can identify friendly fraud then you have a a much cleaner slate to say okay well look this this is friendly fraud and then these are these are actually criminal fraud so so for these chargebacks um, you know they, these are the ones that I these are the ones I can use to train my fraud prevention system these are the ones that I can focus on to see if I can identify internal systems that are being exploited. Um, but if you just have this big bucket, and you know, and you have whatever 100 chargebacks just for math, um, and 60% of them look like fraud, um, figuring out how many of them are actual fraud is really, really big part of the pie. So I'm hard to see, and everything. So win, you'll win more cases, of course, because you'll 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 know which ones are are friendly fraud, and uh, you know, ultimately you'll reduce rates because you'll be more effective. So. Um, mm -hmm. if, if I had my way, if, if anything, maybe you could just switch this chart upside down and just have it be, you know, the, like if, if you focus on the bottom, then the top happens. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and 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 also not to mention, you know, if you're if you're challenging those legitimate chargebacks too, there's some also some reputational damage that might come as a result of that too. So also something to keep in mind. So at the at the beginning of this webinar, you know, I had mentioned that you know we also did a consumer survey. You know, while it's uh, while it's important for us to see, um, you know, what's going on with uh, with uh, with merchants, also good to see what's going on with consumers. Uh, but but before hopping into that, just taking a look at the uh, the current chargeback ratio on average, what it's looking like for some of these merchants. Um, as we can see here, we've got you know 0.56% average, um, which seems a little bit higher. But as you can see, it kind of correlates to uh, uh, to the merchants depending on how many chargebacks they receive per month. So looking at those businesses that receive more than 500 chargebacks per month, we see you know they're they're looking around like 0.83%. 
then you're looking at those merchants with less than 10 chargebacks per month. They're looking at 0.35%. Um, and for any merchants on the call that are kind of new to chargebacks, you know, if, if you're up there around 1% as your chargeback ratio, you know, the number of chargebacks you get divided by the total number of transactions you have in a given month. If you're dancing up there around that 1%, you're putting yourself at risk of, you know, incurring higher processing fees for those uh, credit card payments. And uh, if, if it gets high enough, you might lose the ability to process those payments at all. So, um, Jared, looking at that 0.56% average amongst our surveyed merchants, uh, what does this tell you? How do you, what, how does this figure hit you? No, nope. can I, you I hear me? I apologize, I was muted. I do think this looks a little high, um, but I think if we if we took an average of all transactions, even all card not present transactions, I think you would probably almost certainly have a lower ratio across all transactions. Um, but remember, this is the there is some sample bias because these are all merchants that have chargebacks, right? Some merchants don't have, like they have one or two chargebacks a year or something like that. So we're real small merchants or merchants that just, you know, have a have a very sort of standard business model. Um, you know, so so once you get to once you throw out those uh, merchants and you start talking about just the average e-commerce merchant, I think that this is actually very common for for an online retailer or an e-commerce merchant. This is very common for, um, you know, very large, very recognizable, very known brands. Um, and that's something we'll talk about a little bit later here because the 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 impact, the number of chargebacks, um, how it affects this number is really interesting to me, but it doesn't, there's, I don't know why it's that way. Um, there's a lot of different reasons that, that, are, that are potentially the cause there. Um, I think the thing to take from this is that you know, if you have 0.5% chargebacks, it's not that that bad, right? Like that's it's very common. And I'll tell you from 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 our standpoint, when we onboard merchants, you know, really name brands, really upstanding businesses, a lot of times they do have that 0.5% um, average. Now we do want to get that down uh, for for a number of reasons. You, you don't you don't want to risk your processing. You don't want to be even even approaching that threshold. You want to stay south of that. Uh, that 1% is actually 0.9% now, I think, with Visa. So you want to stay south of that, um, you know, a, a good margin so that you don't have a big spike in sales and then have to deal with, uh, uh, you know, breaching thresholds for the next couple of months. So, um, mm -hmm. but I just, I think, you know, there's, people don't like to talk about chargebacks. And so I think it's like one of those things where nobody really knows. Um, but at least in the merchants that we surveyed, it was very common for them to have, uh, you know, not down at that 0.1%. Mm -hmm. And I think that's 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 very common when we talk to merchants. Mm -hmm. And zooming in a little bit just on this chargeback ratio, we also asked these merchants about their various risk factors that they might have. So you know, as you can see, we you know there are some uh, factors that they have that might contribute to some of those uh, to that chargeback ratio. Uh, Jerry, can you kind of walk us through some of these different factors and how they might affect these merchants? Are you muted again, Jared? Yeah, I'm muted again. I'm sorry. I'm, <laughs> yeah, I was going to say that this is this is this is really interesting um, uh, stat, but it, it's like there's a few in here that I I don't know exactly what they mean, um, but I do think so. Affiliate marketing, for example, is one that was pretty high, um, and I think that's pretty obvious why that might be because I I don't know how many uh, merchants that are on this call are sort of engaged in um, performance marketing, you know, whatever. Um, but the the issue with affiliate marketing, the reason why it's a, a contributes to chargebacks typically is because 
as a merchant, you're not in control of the sales process, right? The sort of pre-sale process. Usually with that, you're sort of sending them directly to a sales page, a checkout page. Um, and so the traffic that goes into that sales page or that checkout page could have been on a page that was making all kinds of crazy promises, right? It's a page that's like, you know, hey, uh, <clears throat> uh, Barack Obama endorsed this, or, you know, like, you know, if, you, if there's, there's all kinds of affiliate schemes that are out there where they'll, uh, uh, you know, pre-sell um, with, with fraudulent promises or fake mm -hmm. uh, endorsements and things like that. And so uh, anytime that you have affiliate marketing, you sort of have to be aware that this is a liability. Um, it's not the end of the world. Affiliate marketing is great because it's a great for small businesses that that don't, you know, have the investment. It's a great way to to get those initial sales. Uh, you know, as as an entrepreneur on the internet, being an affiliate and and driving traffic to other people's websites is a great thing. So I, I like the affiliate model. I just I know that it comes with um, some liabilities and some risks, um, and and so that was interesting to me. But I think the rest of them are um, pretty pretty self-explanatory, um, and, and I don't I don't know how to analyze them mm -hmm. perfectly. So we also asked uh, merchants, how often do you not recognize transactions on your uh, debit card statement because the descriptions are confusing or incomplete? I'm sorry, this is something that we ask consumers. So again, getting inside the mind of uh, you know them looking at their billing statement, and we notice you know about close to you know 58% either said that they sometimes or often don't recognize those descriptions uh, that's that's on their billing statement. Um, and that's something where, you know, if, if your descriptor is off a little bit or, you know, isn't recognized, you're going to have those consumers who, you know, don't recognize that charge and think that it was something made either fraudulently um, and, and then you get a charge back when really it was a legitimate purchase. Uh, your billing descriptor just had them confused. So, um, you know, moving into the next slide too, um, you know, 27 percent had uh, had that we surveyed had mentioned that, you know, they don't know or I'm sorry, the, the merchants that we surveyed, 27 percent of them said that they don't know how their billing descriptor appears, while 47 percent said that they had never changed their descriptor. Uh, so, Jared, just looking at that consumer insight and then these stats that we got from merchants, uh, wh what is your advice to merchants and, you know, how, how can they better manage their billing descriptors? Yeah, billing descriptors are like right now. If you're on this and, and you're not familiar with what your billing descriptor is, or you haven't implemented soft descriptors or any of that stuff, um, then go do that right now because that's sort of one of the easiest wins that you can get, and it's a win for for two reasons. One is because if you can, um, you know, the, the the reduction of chargebacks is is always great, but it's also the the thing that matters is the type of chargeback, right? Because it's those hey, item not recognized chargeback, that's going to come through as criminal fraud, right? It's going to be the thing that you're not quite sure if it's friendly fraud or criminal fraud. Um, it's going to be the type of thing that might think you have a bigger criminal fraud problem than you actually do. So um, not only you know, is it an easy way to prevent chargebacks, it's an easy way to prevent the difficult types of chargebacks uh, to, to manage, right? If you, if you can get rid of those mistaken, if, you're, if, you, if you can make sure that when somebody receives a credit card statement, they know who you are, they can contact you and, um, you know, uh, seek, seek, you know, try to figure out from you without trying to contact their bank to, to figure out what the charge is all about. Um, and then the other thing is, you know, a lot of them have, haven't changed their billing descriptor. Um, what we recommend is every three to six months, 
check on that, even if it's just to buy something from yourself, um, because there's there's a couple of things. Depending on the bank account, there's with and I don't know the mechanism behind this, but when a when a charge is pending, sometimes it's different than when a charge actually goes through. Um, so you always want to be sure that you know what your charge looks like when it's pending and when it goes through. Um, and be aware that just because it's the, the billing descriptor appeared one way uh, uh, this month, um, it, it's very common for the different payment processors and all of these 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 organizations that are between you and, and the actual uh, acquiring bank, um, they get bought and sold and acquired. They switch out technology and overhaul processes. And so the, the logic that they use to create the billing descriptors, sometimes they can get truncated, sometimes they like generate brand new ones. Um, so, you, so you always should at least check. Uh, and, and, if you, and if you can't see for certain in um, your dashboard or whatever you inter interface with, uh, then go ahead, buy something from yourself. Um, you know, at the end of the day, it'll be a processing fee or whatever, but it'll, um, it'll give you a, a real first, you know, a real, a real glimpse into the, how your, uh, 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 is, is appearing, how your name is appearing on the billing statement. And then always use best practices. We've written some articles on it. So like put your phone number or put a, put a URL that has a, you know, some support and contact information on it. Uh, you know, why is this appearing on my, on my billing statement, that type of page, um, do things like that, like real basic stuff. Don't waste, you know, you only have so many characters. Don't waste it with like city and, you know, like really long descriptions that, that aren't um, relevant or aren't going to inform uh, the, your customers who you are. Yeah, I would always run into that issue with uh, with uh, transactions I would see from Uber. It always, the first thing that would show up would be San Francisco. And if I'm looking on my phone, that descriptor gets cut off. So uh, always confused when I would see San Francisco as the billing descriptor. And that was the only thing I could see unless I expanded it. So yeah, yeah I, I know exactly. That's, what you mean. that's actually very common. They, they, I don't know why it's like that. But but yeah, when you when you set up a lot of times, that's the first one by default. Mm -hmm. They put in the city for some reason. Mm -hmm. So we also asked merchants, uh, you know, over the last three years, has your organization experienced an increase in instances of friendly fraud? Um, you know, when we asked merchants this back in 2001 or 2021, you know, we got a response of 76% of them had experienced an increase in friendly fraud. Um, when we surveyed them in 2022, that had gone down to 65%. So we thought, okay, you know, maybe you know the merchants had gotten a little bit of a handle on just how everyone had shifted over to e-commerce uh, following the pandemic and everything like that. But then when we surveyed them again this year, that had rebounded up to 74% uh, with uh, merchants reporting an average of almost 20% of a reported increase in that friendly fraud. Um, so Jared, what does this, uh, tell us a little bit about this rebound and why this might've happened and what we can do to kind of help bring that back down, um, and start, you know, sending that back downward. Yeah. Well, I'm actually looking forward to this chart because, um, every year we, uh, every year we add another layer to it, it gets kind of more interesting looking. Um, so I, th I think the 2021 is the furthest that this chart goes back. And uh, obviously, 2021, we're just coming out of the pandemic. The last three years included 2020. Um, so pretty much every merchant that we talked to is like, yeah, over the past three years, friendly fraud is definitely up. Um, 
and then 2022, some of that had settled down a little bit. A lot of that uh, spike in friendly fraud had normalized um, to some degree. Um, it was still, I mean, 65% of merchants. Now, just to be clear, the way that we do this is we ask the merchants, we say, you know, the past few years, has it increased, decreased? I don't know, stay the same. So so usually there's a little bit less than a third, 25% that say that it's they're not sure, it's stay the same, they don't know. Um, and so so we opt them out. And then of the remaining, the ones that say, yes, I've noticed a difference, the, the you know, three quarters of them say that the, the difference is in the, the bad direction. Um, so, so that's sort of what this, that means, but, um, uh, you know, it's always a majority, uh, that say that, that they've, they've seen an increase in, in friendly fraud over the last three years. Um, and it, it is telling to me that, that it's back up to 74%, which is almost as high as it was, you know, coming out of, uh, uh, the pandemic. Now it's, it's important to understand what this stat is and you know know that this is merchant reported and know that we have um you know a, a sample bias but i would actually argue that the sample bias that we have is that the merchants that we that were that were willing to participate in the survey were um they were fairly forward leaning on this topic mm -hmm. um there's a lot of merchants that you know maybe just aren't paying attention to it um you know it's a one percent of their bottom line it's sort of a cost of doing business they just sort of aren't really really focused on it um but i think that the more that you pay attention to this and the more that you track this stuff um the the more aware you are of the sort of incremental year over year increase um so the follow-up question that we asked was the average reported increase we wanted to know uh, over the last three years by what percent have the chargebacks increased and um, the average there was uh, 19%. And that's actually consistent with with other studies and other reports and stuff. And that sort of seems to be around where we are, where, whether we say 19, we round that up to 20%. That's that's basically where we are. Um, and I think, and I talked about this earlier, but I think, I think it's telling that Visa and MasterCard acquired uh, Ethica and Verify. I think that that's an acknowledgement that, <laughs> you know, we have this sort of like, uh, exponential, you know, year over year, slightly increasing uh, rate of friendly fraud, chargebacks are kind of going up. Uh, and so they needed a way to keep their basic rules in place. But for those merchants that were sort of, you know, like dealing with this, this, you know, year over year increase, um, they needed a, a, an alternative way to resolve some of those disputes that wasn't so punitive and that wasn't so difficult and that, you know, really didn't create as much strain on the systems and the Ethica and Verify um, for all their faults, you know, had, that's what they were doing is they were sort of like trying to figure out different ways to resolve um, these disputes. And so now that this is sort of part of the system now, so to speak, um, I think that it, that, it, that it's an advantage and I think it's an admission that, you know, this is going to continue to be a problem and that, that we need, we need tools to, uh, to, to, bridge the gap between merchants and their customers uh, uh, in a way that isn't reliant on essentially 1970s rules. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think, uh, like you said about the industry taking notice, I mean, even just a few weeks ago with Visa's Compelling Evidence 3.0, um, I think the biggest change in that was, you know, allowing merchants to submit uh, evidence on um uh, you know, on just consumer information like their IP address, their physical address, but essentially it helps you build that building block uh, to to help you know 
stop any you know fraudulent or illegitimate transaction and it's the or i'm not sure but chargebacks and i think that you know it's kind of one of the first steps that we're seeing from the industry actually recognizing hey you know friendly fraud and first party misuse this is a problem this is a you know sort of like the first official step that we've kind of seen from um from a big player like visa for doing that and i think the other ones are going to follow suit but yeah I, I just think it's telling that okay the industry is finally recognizing hey you know these illegitimate or fraudulent chargebacks it's an issue and we need to do something about it so uh, I, i'm sure we'll see more changes to come but yeah i think uh, i think the industry is finally coming around so going uh going back to our consumer survey i think this is probably one of the most telling statistics that we got back from those consumers this is a stat that we saw that kind of made us you know say you know the holy cow that, that that's it's incredibly surprising if, if you look on the right this is where we uh we asked consumers have you ever filed a chargeback without ever contacting the merchant and 52 percent said that they had but what's even more telling with that is that 72 and a half percent said that they consider contacting their bank before the merchant a valid alternative um that and if anything that just kind of tells you the mindset with consumers whether you know just them thinking that that is you know uh, almost equal to call you know contacting their bank is almost equal for them contacting the merchant to get a refund you know it, it kind of shows that they might not know what exactly goes on on the back end for a chargeback they might not know that you know they're they might be hurting those merchants by you know char charging them those chargeback fees hurting that chargeback ratio and everything like that uh, so so jared just kind of getting this insight into the mind of the consumer um what what does this mean for for merchants what should they take away from the stat well, I'm not surprised at all by this stat, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I think the 52, I was a little bit surprised because we asked the question, you know, have you ever filed a chargeback without first? I mean, I don't know. I thought that the, the you know, after we deployed the survey, I thought maybe we should have been a little sneakier about it, <laughs> you know, because it sort of seems like we're asking, like, have you done a bad thing? Uh, but, but we had a majority of consumers admit that they uh, have contact with their bank. Um, and, you know, consumers don't really care. Cardholders don't really care if they get a refund or if they file a chargeback. Right at the end of the day, they just want money back in their in their uh, account. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's one of the things we talk about a lot is that merchants are, you know, your, your competition from a customer service standpoint is, you know, we used to talk about how Amazon was the, the sort of gold standard, but now your bank, <laughs> your bank's mm -hmm. app, that has a button that says, uh, I don't recognize this charge or dispute this charge. Um, so they're oftentimes one click away from all that money going back into their account. Uh, you know, that's the customer service department that you need to uh, be aware of. Um, you know, also Amazon and all the things that they're doing, I think. But uh, but yeah, you, you, need to, you need to provide better service than your bank. And so just kind of, uh, you know, looking through the microscope, diving down into that stat, you know, we asked, uh, why do consumers call their bank instead of the merchant? And the responses we got back is, is kind of telling for, you know, kind of what you mentioned, Jared, just the convenience of it. You know, my bank requires less information than a retailer. My bank is more understanding. I can handle multiple issues. My bank offers faster resolutions. It's, uh, uh, it, it really is a matter of convenience just based off of these survey results. Um, so, I mean, what is it that merchants can do to be just as 
uh, I guess, reactionary or just as convenient as some of these banks? What, what can these merchants do? Well, I mean, they can invest in their customer service, right? Um, they can, you know, so so look, you, you need to make a decision, but but if, if what you're, all you're trying to do is reduce the number of chargebacks, one of the best things that you can do is, is improve your customer service, make sure that you have a frictionless return policy, make sure that you, you make it easy for people to cancel, all of those things. Those are gonna have an impact. Now, what you need to do actually from a revenue standpoint is sort of weigh the pros and cons, right? So if, if you make if you make it too easy to, to return stuff, then you're gonna have return fraud, which is something else we asked about. But um, I think I think here, just the, the interesting one for this one, for me anyway, was um, that the, the most popular answer there by far was that their banks offer faster resolutions. And I, I didn't really think about that, but um, even when I get a refund Anytime on my credit card over the phone or, or for, you know, I, the the person on the other end of the phone always says, okay, I'm issuing the refund, but it's going to take seven to 50 days or, you know, I'm being mm-hmm. facetious, but it's always like like a week at least before before they're sure that the, the refund is going to appear. Um, whereas when you contact your bank and you file a dispute, like it's like immediately the money's back in your account. Um, and so that's a... Uh, that's a really interesting thing that, that mm-hmm. consumers are really aware that even if they contact the merchant, uh, it's going to take a week for them to get their their money back. Um, whereas if they contact their bank, they've got the money same day. So so that's uh, that was illuminating to me. And I you know I don't know how to that's this is one of those pressures that's that's why it's you know 20% over the last three years because um, you know th- these realities are built into the market now. Mm-hmm. So we for for this next slide, you know, we asked merchants, you know, does your business contest invalid chargebacks through representment? Um, and just kind of looking at this, Jerry, can you kind of take us through, uh, you know, just like this average stat that we're seeing, and just and and how it correlates to uh, the revenue that some of these merchants are, uh, you know, how much revenue that they're that they're making, how that correlates to that that average. Uh, you know, the, the how many chargebacks that they're taking to representment? Yeah. So, well, this isn't how many, this is just whether they are or not. Because a lot of businesses just, just don't don't fight chargebacks, right? Either because it's not that big a problem or because it's costly or because um, they're worried about sort of reputational issues. They don't want to make anybody mad at them. Um, so, but, you know, of the ones that we surveyed, of course, you know, a lot of them were fighting chargebacks um, because, you know, they're they're like I said, the sample bias is towards uh, people that are a little bit more companies are a little bit more forward leaning on this uh, topic. Um, but also the the uh, the larger companies seem like they were by far fighting most likely to fight chargebacks, and I think that's for a couple of reasons. One is because they have the resources. The other reason is because you know if you have a business where you have a very low uh, chargeback liability, so you so for example you're going to get. 0.1, of your transactions are going to be disputed. Um, then, you know, even even at millions of dollars annually, it's sort of not that much money. Um, even if you calculate in all of the fees and stuff, it starts to be a little bit of money, but it's not a ton of money, and it's not really worth investing in a department or like investing in um, some software solutions. It's just sort of a write-off, right? Um, but but even at that one or two percent, when you when you talk about doing a hundred million, five hundred million, a billion dollars 
in revenue every year, that starts to be a really big pile of money, <laughs> and it becomes very difficult for uh, companies to ignore um, that, especially especially because larger businesses oftentimes work on much smaller margins. Um, you know, thinking about like big box stores and and big retailers that that really, you know, they're they're at the end of the day, they're um, you know their profit margins once you factor in all of their costs and and marketing and things like that is very thin um and so uh 0.1% times 3 so like you know half a percent of their total revenue is is also a significant uh untapped revenue opportunity so i think that's why there's the the larger businesses tend to to focus on this a little bit more mm -hmm. And, and then taking a look at the next slide, you know, we're we're taking a look at those uh, what that what percent of those chargebacks are caused by friendly fraud, and we're seeing a 44% average. Is that uh, Jared? Does that strike you as high? Does that strike you as low? Well, that's definitely low. So that's you know what I mean. I, I would say for any given merchant, the expectation should be that 60 to 80% of your disputes are caused by um, first-party fraud misuse. Um, I think it's I think it's telling that larger businesses uh, are reporting a higher number. That doesn't mean that larger businesses have worse customers. I think it means that larger businesses sort of have um, they've invested in this problem long enough to to have learned that punchline. So you know, also just surveying merchants, just trying to see what you know how big of a concern that friendly fraud is to them. So you know, just looking at that perceived threat of friendly fraud. And the effectiveness of management efforts, you know, we're kind of seeing, you can see on the graph to the left, uh, we have in comparison, you know, years past for these the, these chargeback field reports, um, kind of in line to a little bit to where we were with 2021, maybe just a, a, a slightly higher, but just taking into consideration that 2021 is coming off of, you know, that, that entire year of the pandemic, you know, we're, we've got more concern now than we did, it, you know, just after that. I mean, uh, so, I mean, Jared, you know, just kind of seeing this um, is should should merchants ex still be expecting chargeback to get to get even worse down the road? Is there going to be a time where this might plateau or we, where we might see some of this concern go down? Who knows? I, I, I doubt it. I think it's going to be with us. I think I think the way that we deal with it and the way that. Um, the rules uh, are written. I think that, that that's an evolving thing. I think some of the alternative payment methods can kind of get involved, uh, like PayPal, for example, has a mediation uh, solution. So, so things are going to change, but I think that there's always going to be anytime you, you there's there's money that that uh, is exchanged and there's not like like face to face, right? It used to be just you know, hey, give me twenty dollar bill and then. That's it. The transaction's over. <laughs> There's no recourse, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so, so now that you have this this uh, not face to face uh, uh, component, I think there's going to be um, payment disputes. It's just going to be the way that it is. So um, the the thing that's interesting to me here is because the follow up question we asked is um, whether or not we thought um, the business thought that they were uh, successfully mitigating friendly fraud, um, and there was like a perfect. I love this chart because. It shows that larger businesses are much more concerned about friendly fraud for, I think, the reasons that I outlined on the previous slide. Uh, but they're also much less uh, sort of confident in their ability to mitigate friendly fraud. And I think, look, I think that there's a process that businesses go through where they sort of like buy into some hype, they get a fraud prevention solution on it, you know, lowers their chargebacks by 20%. They feel like 
they got everything under control. It's not that big an issue, so they're not really having some really smart people think about it. But I think as 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 a business evolves and scales, uh, you know, if they're doing enough card not present transactions, I think that um, the the realization that friendly fraud is the thing that they're that they're struggling with, right? The, these chargebacks are oftentimes um, not the case of stolen credit cards on the black market, but they're um, you know, one of the other sort of like illegitimate sort of misuse of um, the chargeback scenario and their ability to solve the problem, um, it's very difficult to solve. Um, so I, I, you know, I, I don't know. It's not that big company, companies is harder for them. I think it's probably in some ways easier because they have the resources. I think that they're they're trying harder and so uh, and so they're realizing how hard it is. Um, mm -hmm. Whereas you know maybe smaller businesses are focused on other things like they should be. Um, so th that's why I think that's interesting. Mm -hmm. And then we're kind of just looking at merchants uh, and their response rate, right? How they're uh, how they they might be contesting some of these uh, friendly fraud chargebacks. We asked you know approximately what percentage of friendly fraud chargebacks do you represent. We got an average of 53%, and we see that that kind of correlates with the size of the business as well. Um, yeah. You can see you can see both of those outlying factors, but but a 53% average um, uh, for for chargebacks that they represent against that are cases of friendly fraud. Where where should this number be, Jared? Well, this this number depends. I mean, you should you should be representing the majority of your chargebacks, in my opinion. Right, so you so the first step should be making sure that you've gotten most of the actual actual cases of criminal fraud under control, um, and then you should be in a position where you're disputing the majority of your cases. Um, this number I think is a is a little bit high, uh, but but again this is all self-reported, so um, you know you kind of have to, and this is all uh, merchants that are fairly um, uh, forward leaning. Let's, let's go through these just real quick. Oh, boom, boom, mm -hmm. boom. And then we'll get to the, the slide that's sort of the punchline here. And, uh, we'll see if we can get through this deck before the top of the hour. Yeah. So we saw that 53% are friendly frauds that they represent. Now of those that they represent, we asked them approximately what percentage do they win? So of those 53% of fraudulent chargebacks, they say that, uh, that they represent 52% uh, is the average win rate that they have against those. And then taking that even further, we said of those that you represent, approximately what percent are escalated to pre-arbitration or advanced to a second cycle, and we get 15% out of that. So, you know, 53% of those friendly, friendly fraud chargeback representment, 52% win rate of those, and then 15% of those are going to pre-arbitration or to a second cycle. Um, Jared, what, is, what does that tell you? Well, I, <laughs> sorry, I had a text come in. Um, well, well, nothing. I think let's just go to the the last one, um, and then I'll talk about all of it together. So, yeah. So, so this um, this is the reason why we ask these questions because this is something we walk our customers through or uh, prospects through when they they reach out to us, and we say, hey, what's your uh, what's your current win rate? And they say, yeah, I don't know, 52 percent, right? First of all, usually it's not 52 percent, um, but you know, there's uh, merchants overestimate how many they're winning. It's very, very difficult to accurately track win rates because of the way that this stuff is reported. We it's difficult for us, but we have uh, teams and systems that sort of uh, handle this for you. But um, the point is, 
the, the win rate is they'll say I have 52% and we say, okay, well, what percent of your uh, chargebacks are you fighting? And they'll say, well, I'm 30%. Um, and so it's 52% of already 30%, right? And then one of the things that they never track is the second cycle disputes. Now this is, it used to be this really clear sort of like, there's a chargeback and then a you know, response and, and now it's more complicated and I'm actually not the best person to talk about some of the nuance with, you know, if it's a, uh, you know, a visa and it's, you know, this reason code, then it's going to go through this track. Uh, uh, and, and so the, the, the names kind of changed a little bit. Um, but there are a bunch of different reasons why uh, you may assume that the um, dispute was resolved in your favor, only to find out that 90 days later, another sort of like line item came on your bill that you didn't even notice or weren't able to attach to this thing. So there's a lot of like, there's a lot of reasons why it's very difficult to really understand what your um, net win rate is um, or net recovery rate is what we call it. Um, but even still, even with self-reported, um, which is most certainly in a lot of cases um, inflated, um, the net recovery rate is around 23.9%. Uh, and that's just that's just math based on the numbers of the merchants that, that they gave it to us. Um, and, and some other providers, by the way, they play this game. So they'll say, oh, well, we have a 70% win rate. It's like, yeah, because you, you only dispute you know, the 30% of chargebacks. Anyway, well, I don't want to get into it. The, the point is um, that this this net recovery rate is the thing that you should be looking at um, because there's a lot more revenue to be recovered either by preventing chargebacks, right? So um, identifying uh, legitimate criminal fraud, um, you know, doing everything you can to, to eliminate the mistakes that you're making as a business. Um, but then, you know, winning much higher percentage um, because the, the only thing that's left over is these cases of, uh, um, you know, sort of inappropriate or uh, uh, misuse. Mm -hmm. So we also asked, you know, the the average number of representments for each full-time employee that's focusing on chargebacks. And what we got back was an average of 128 chargebacks per full-time employee that they're dealing with. Um, that that number, Jared, is that is that on average, or is that uh, depending on the size of the business? Is that a uh, is 128 chargeback something that's manageable, or is that uh, we seeing that as being a little bit high? Yeah, well, so that's that's sort of what we hear when you get to like mid market businesses where they've got maybe one or two employees. That's about what one or two employees can handle in a typical business. Um, is around 100, 100 something chargebacks. Um, for smaller businesses, they might handle a little bit less. Sometimes they have other responsibilities that are sort of like in that area. Um, and then larger businesses that have, you know, whatever, they invest in technology solutions like ours, where they've got, you know, a team of five or six that are able to handle significantly more. So that this is a long, uh, you know, it's a sliding scale, but the average was 128. And I think the important thing to take from this is I'm always looking for like shorthand ways to sort of estimate and understand the cost of chargebacks, but 128 representatives isn't that many. Um, and you've got a full, an entire full-time employee that's dedicated to that. Um, so when, when you're looking at this chargeback cost and you're looking at this line item that even for, even in your business, maybe it's 0.2%, 
you also have to think, okay, well, I've got this, but I'm dealing with it, right? So I'm trying to recover this revenue. I'm trying to like identify the reasons. That, so I've got these this, these three full-time employees that that's mostly what they're doing, right? I've got these additional fees that are coming in, right? My, my processor's giving me a hard time. I've got, you know, it's hard for me to reconcile that. I've got this accounting problem because I've got, you know, expenses that are going out the door. I'm losing merchandise and there's no way to reconcile it accurately. Um, you know, I don't know if I won the case or I lost the case, so I don't know how to deduct it on my taxes. So you've got all of this sort of headache and you, and you need to kind of like bundle it all together and think about it together. And you realize that 0.2% is actually a, a much bigger sort of uh, problem than, than it appears when you just, just look at the, the disputed cases. Mm -hmm. Now, just kind of going into, all right, here's, here's what the, what chargebacks look like today. What are our options? What are our answers? So there's kind of a few solutions that are out there. Um, and Jared, I'll, I'll let you run us through each one, but essentially we got the different categories of chargeback alerts, our network increase, and our, uh, you know, rapid dispute resolution. Um, so can, can you just kind of walk us through what each of these solutions offer? Yeah, so chargeback alerts have been around forever. Um, basically what it is, is uh, there's the issuing bank can opt into the, this network. And what, it, what they can do is somebody contacts the issuing bank and they can check and say, hey, uh, so the, the card issuer, the company that um, supplies the credit card to, to your customer, uh, when they contact their bank, the, the issuer can check and see if uh, your business is enrolled in these programs. And if it is, the agreement sort of is, okay, I will let the business know that there's this pending dispute. And if they're willing to refund the transaction, then I will forego the chargeback process. So it's really great for bringing down the total number of chargebacks. It's really great for uh, eliminating the, the sort of like complex accounting. You know, you get to offer the refund in your CRM, like everything is uh, 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 nice and tidy. Uh, your customer's happy, right? Cause they get a refund. They don't need to, uh, uh, you know, worry about, you know, are you gonna refute it? Do they need to like, you know, sign an affidavit, whatever the process is, it's not hanging over their head. So it's just sort of a, a better experience. Um, and um, <clears throat> we see that the the merchants that we survey were about 35% were using it. Now there is a cost, right? So it's not really a money saving thing and you do um, forfeit um, representment rights, um, but it does bring down your total chargebacks. Uh, there's a bunch of advantages to it. Um, the average reporter was around 27% of the merchants that we surveyed. So uh, it's a it's a not an insignificant number. Uh, you know, it matters industry you're in, whatever. But it uh, it can be really helpful, especially if you're up near that one percent. So right. the network inquiries, um, those are newer products. Um, those are also so so uh, Order Insight is um, uh, Verify, which is uh, owned by Visa now. Consumer Clarity is Ethica, which is owned by Mastercard now. Um, and so they work on the, the Visa and MasterCard um, charges, I think. Um, but, um, but basically the idea is uh, instead of you promising to uh, refund it when your customer contacts their issuer, what you do is you provide some additional evidence, right? So the thing we talked about earlier where somebody calls and they don't recognize the uh, billing descriptor and says, well, I didn't make this purchase, then the uh, issuer has they ping your servers or they ping our servers or whatever. And, um, and then uh, we send back or you send back 
the uh, additional transaction information. Say, no, 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 they did. Here was the IP, right? We, we, it was in the same city. Uh, you know, here's the delivery address. Here's the delivery confirmation. The order was for a pair of black stilettos, right? And then your customer says, oh, oh, this is probably my wife, or oh, that's right, I made that purchase. I totally forgot. I, I you know, I was, um, it was, I was celebrating that night, and uh, you know, I, I. I, have, I was being very forgetful. <laughs> uh, so it's, it's a great way because it doesn't require a refund, right? Um, and it's really good for those item not recognized. It's really good for those uh, um, sort of like family fraud, sort of accidental friendly fraud type chargebacks, which are, again, they're great. Uh, but as you can see, the, it's really only larger businesses that can implement it because there is some implementation costs involved um so you so you you need to have you need to be able to respond in like a under a couple of seconds or something like that um but you know for if you're a mid mid-market business or, a, or an enterprise business this is definitely something that that we could facilitate for you and that we facilitate for some of the biggest brands in the world um, okay the last one is rdr and the rdr is kind of a new version of the regular alerts um, and RDR works the same as alerts, but it's automated, right? So it's it's sort of the the newfangled. So the advantages of RDR is that it's it's automated, um, and you you can sort of set rules. So basically, somebody contacts their uh, issuer and says, "I didn't make, I don't recognize this charge or this company. Uh, you know, they they sold me a, a a fake Rolex or whatever, whatever the complaint is." Um, then the issuer can actually, they can check and see if you're enrolled in RDR and they can actually issue a refund on your behalf through through um, through Visa. It only works on, on Visa transactions, though MasterCard is supposed to have something like this rolled out, um, but they keep pushing it back. Uh, anyway, th this is a great one. So it's, it, it's still refund based, but it's sort of automated, right? So you don't need to be Map, mapping and trying to find the transaction and refunding it and sending the confirmation. There's really not any of that. This sort of happens. Um, and it also has offers a wide, uh, a lot of protection because it uh, is available essentially to any issuer that wants, right? It's sort of part of the uh, visa system that all issuers use. Um, so it isn't, there's, there's nothing, there's nothing preventing an issuer. They don't need to proactively enroll like with um, the, the other alerts. Um, and depending on what your business, you know, sometimes businesses use all of these tools. Sometimes they use one of these tools. Um, you know, it, it really depends on what you're trying to get out of it, what the benefits are. But these tools are available. And uh, if chargeback reduction is, is what you care about more than anything else, then these tools are kind of no-brainers because they're there. Uh, they keep everybody in the system happy. They sort of alleviate any pressure that you're feeling, especially if your issuers, if your um, pr processor is saying, um, you know, that, that you need to get chargebacks under control. Uh, and then that's it. So uh, my email address is Jared, J-A-R-R-O-D. Oh, no, it isn't. Excuse me. It's J.Wright, J.W-R-I-G-H-T, at Chargebacks911. If you want to shoot me an email, if you have any questions about anything I said today, anything, any of the products uh, that we have, uh, I'm probably going to introduce you to somebody else, but um, you know, if you if you also know a good dad joke, uh, shoot it over to me. I'll check it out. <laughs> yeah, and thanks for everybody for sticking with us. Uh, I know we're at the top of the hour, but if you all have time to stick around, we're going to run through just a few questions, um, and we'll just hop right into it. So, Jared, um, 
first question that we have that was pre-submitted is, do we have tools apart from creating an in-house business rules uh, that can assist in identifying fraud even before hitting a payment gateway? Man, just as making you making the class stay late. Um, <laughs> yeah, so th there's a lot of tools. Uh, I'm not in case any of our partners are on the call. I'm not going to recommend them. Um, but yeah, so there's there's tools that you can use that uh, identify. Like one of the things that this reminds me of is um, account takeover fraud. Right. I had a conversation with somebody that was in the industry, and so basically what they'll do is they'll log into your customer's account, right? Just like whatever, they'll find out the customers that you can buy emails and passwords and try them around a bunch of places, but they gain access into your customer's account. They'll sort of like lay there dormant. And then if you're, and then, and then they'll start using stolen credit cards as your customer, right? So you, so you have what is uh, very like, it's like a whitelisted account. It's this person that buys from you all the time and they start buying stuff all of a sudden and uh, and that you know it sort of escapes the uh, the fraud detection uh, in a lot of ways. So there's a lot of different things, and so th those are those are all like identifying that stuff like at the breach level and before um, you know before they even try to check out. Now I don't know if it makes sense like that you should be looking at your traffic in general to try to figure out. Um, so I don't know if you're asking like should we be worried about like fraudsters being on our website. I think that that's a little bit too far upstream to, to have any effective tools. Um, but there's definitely like, once they create an account, things like that, then, then at that point, there's a lot of different tools and solutions out there. Uh, I'm just not gonna endorse any. Um, Justin, I don't know, I, let's do one more, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm conscious that people probably have better things to do. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll do one last question, then we'll uh, we'll we'll let everybody be. So we'll uh, run through this one really quickly. Um, how can we protect ourselves from chargebacks, or what systems can we put in place to give us better odds of winning the chargebacks when we submit our rebuttals? <laughs> okay. So yeah, Shani, uh, Shani, um, <clears throat> that's a really great question. I think you you hit it on the head right there. Um, so protecting yourself from chargebacks, I think understanding where your chargebacks are coming from is the first step there. It's sort of like I said earlier with the, you know, starting at the bottom and working your way up. Um, if what you want to do is just reduce chargebacks, right, um, then those tools that I went through, those, those are sort of no-brainers. You can protect yourself from chargebacks. That's something, the technology's there, bam, bam, super easy to do. Um, but if what you're trying to do is protect yourself from revenue loss altogether, um, because there's some costs associated with those products, um, then the the system is identify why they're happening and address each issue, underlying issue, right? And some of that is going to be you as a business, right? Let's let's be honest, right? It's very easy for us to say, oh, our customers are they're difficult and they have unrealistic shipping expectations and they don't even, you know, contact me and they're trying to get, you know, it's very easy. And there is some of that, right? But there's also things that you can do from a, like, are you answering the phone with a human or, you know, are you using like this really overly automated system? You know, are you, are you trying to do like a restocking fee? Is there, you know, so like looking at your business and saying, okay, look, some of these things that I think are driving revenue may not be. So let me try figuring out and understanding how these different things are impacting my business. Um, anyway, that's sort of a, not a, it's probably not a very helpful answer, but it's, I think, the right answer. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and then what can we do to give us better odds of winning the chargebacks when we submit the buzz? So there's a lot of different things that you can do. I think the main thing that you can do is make sure that you have technology that's logging user activity, that's logging, that you're actively logging all of your um, customer service correspondence, whether it's a chat or whether it's a um, phone call or whatever, and then that resides in your CRM um, or it's accessible and associated with that contact. because. I, I'm so surprised how often like that stuff is not there because that you, you know oftentimes is a very good compelling evidence, right? If somebody's going to call their bank and say, "Hey, I, I don't, I didn't make this purchase, or I don't remember making this purchase, or you know, I never received it, or any of the different things that they can say," um, but you have a chat log with them and their IP is captured and they're saying, "Hey, um, you know." I don't like it, it's too expensive, and I don't want to send it back, just give me my money back. Or, you know, if you've got that record, then that's, you know, that's that's really great evidence. Um, but if you don't have it because your chat system is separate, and, you know, there's a whole bunch of different logistic reasons, especially for small and mid-sized businesses, mm-hmm. but even large businesses, um, where, where you're not collecting all of these data points correctly. It's actually one of the main things that we help merchants do when we onboard them, is try to figure out, um, you know how do how do you here's the evidence that we need what's where's where's this going to live in your crm because oftentimes it doesn't mm-hmm. all right thanks so much for that insight jared and thanks for everyone who stuck around uh, a couple minutes extra for us uh, just a reminder that this webinar was recorded and we'll have a link set up at some point in the next day or so uh, that it can be shared with colleagues or if you were just absolutely blown away with today's presentation you can watch it again yourselves Uh, After 30 days, we'll have this webinar available on our podcast, Charge Forward with Chargebacks 911, uh, available on all streaming platforms. But, Jared, thank you so much for joining me today. Um, And if anybody else, like we said, we'll answer all questions that were submitted. Um, So we'll reach out to you for the questions that we weren't able to get to today. But thank you so much for joining us and uh, hope to see you guys again. Take care. Thanks a lot, Justin.